Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Small Foxes by Pastor Sean Wood. We're going to come around God's Word, but as we do, let us pray. And Father, this morning uh, we pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts. We, we just want to see Jesus. I thank you, Father, that your Word is filled with Jesus and Today I pray that the Holy Spirit, the greatest heart surgeon in the universe, would be free to do his work in this place this morning as your word goes forth. Your wonderful name, amen. Amen. If you've got your Bibles this morning, you'd like to meet me in Hebrews chapter 12. We'll make our way there in a moment. Uh, Over the course of January, we've been speaking about fruitfulness. And it's a really important subject because fruitfulness is the call of the Christian life. Uh, for those that have a rough understanding of the parable of the talents in, in Matthew 25, let me give you a brief overview. It's, it's probably a sermon for another day, but the point of this parable is important. Uh, first of all, the word talent isn't about the skills and gifts that God gives us. It was a monetary term. In fact, the talent uh, in the first century was the highest uh, rating of currency. Some people worked all year for one talent. It was, it was a huge amount of currency. Uh, and the whole thrust of the parable is about a return on investment. That... The master, before he goes away, leaves some talents with his servants, but there's a time when the master comes back and they will be called into account for what it was that he has deposited. Of course, for that, it is the salvation, the Holy Spirit, everything that God has given us. And what God will demand as a return on investment is fruit. Just to be clear, theology is important, but... You will not stand before Christ and he say you're a Calvinist on your way. That's, that's not what God will say. It, it won't, it won't, theology won't be what you will be held into account for on that day. What denomination you belong to isn't important. Where you went to church, who your mum and dad are. You won't be judged on those things. But whether there is a return on the investment or whether there is fruit. And so my heart is that we would be a fruitful community, that we would be growing and maturing and producing fruit. And uh, for those that uh, know the parable, we know that uh, God doesn't give to those any more than they can handle. Some were given five talents, some were given two talents, one was given one talent. What's the message here? The message isn't how much you get, are given is not what's important. It's what you do with what God has given you. That's important. That's the message of the parable. And throughout the month of January, we've been talking about fruitfulness, how we can be more fruitful. And in last week, we began to speak about how it is that the enemy would seek to rob the fruit in our lives. And one hallmark way for those that were here last week is the the enemy would seek to remove the voice of God from our lives, remove God's speaking into our lives. We, we touched briefly on the Roman centurion, and we know that from that example, what does he say to Jesus? He, he comes to Jesus and says, my servant is sick, uh, would you come and heal him? And Jesus says, I will come. And, and the Roman centurion says, you don't need to come, you just speak the word. That's a freaky miracle. But the Roman centurion understood who Jesus was. 
And he, he understood that one word from Jesus could radically change circumstances, and it did. And I believe that one word from Jesus can amazingly transform our lives. The enemy would seek to shut out God's word and God's voice speaking to us. And the other major way the enemy seeks to remove the fruit and to stifle the fruit in our lives is through the small foxes, so to speak, that come into our vineyard and rob the fruit. Uh, Many will know that when I was in Tasmania, I worked in the forestry and all of the forestry that we did, all the planting that we did, was managed investment. Same same scenario. Uh, there was a point, 10 to 12 years mostly, when somebody was going to be looking for a return on their investment. Uh, most of them were returned a 6 to 12%. They were promised a 6 to 12% return. I don't think anybody got that. However, uh, there were certain aspects that could rob that coop of its fruitfulness or a return on investment. Uh, the two major ones were a bushfire. Uh, biggest problem with bushfires in Tasmania is everything's goat country, so you can't get anything in there to fight the bushfires. And the other one was gum beetles. Uh, believe it or not, gum beetles are an enormous pest. They're very small, but they can completely consume a coop. Wow. Hectares upon hectares, they can ruin them. They don't kill any of the trees. They don't eat any of the stem. They only slowly but surely, they just nibble away at the leaves. And what happens is if you come back in 10 to 12 years, if they are left unattended and you come back in 10 to 12 years and you're looking for a return on your investment, you should have trees that are 8 to 12 metres in height and you'll be lucky if they're 2 metres. You see, the, the beetles haven't killed the tree, they've just removed the fruit. They've stifled the growth. And all of us if we are not careful or we live unguarded, can have small foxes or, or gum beetles that the enemy would sneak into our lives that rob us of our fruitfulness. And today I want to talk about some of those small foxes, but, but I want to leave here today with four practical things that we can do uh, in our everyday lives uh, to help us eradicate foxes or, or gum beetles. But I want to let everybody in on the one secret Hebrews chapter 12 gives us the one secret that will keep you on course, guarantee fruitfulness in your life, guarantee that when you reach that time standing for Christ, you'll hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. One secret that you can leave here with today, but you have to stay awake to the end of the sermon. (laughs) For those that have met us in Hebrews chapter 12, if we could start off with the word, therefore, Chapter 12, verse 1, it says, therefore, and whenever we find a therefore in Scripture, we must pause long enough to ask what it's there for, right? Uh, Hebrews, the writer to the Hebrews, we don't know who it was. Uh, Some people speculate that it was Paul, and it certainly has Pauline language, particularly in these verses, because uh, Paul, uh, some people may not know, Paul was, had a huge athletic background. Some of the terminology we find in the first few verses of Hebrews chapter 12, you don't find anywhere else in the Bible. And Paul often refers to analogies back to athletics and back to that scene when he's speaking about our Christian life. The judgment seat of Christ is an athletic term. One would be seated in the judgment seat to oversee how everybody ran, to make sure they ran according to the rules and that they finished the race. So there was a judgment seat and so he applies that to the judgment seat of Christ. It's very hard to place this epistle with Paul, but what we see is an athletic terminology or metaphor that describes our Christian life. 
The therefore reaches back to chapter 11, and we all know about Hebrews 11. It's, it's the faith chapter. And the faith chapter begins with a very short description of what faith is. Uh, long story short, I'll save you a bit of time. Faith is not a tool in your hand to get what you want from God. That's not what faith is. In fact, the, the writer to the Hebrews goes on and says, well, if we really want to understand faith, it looks like this. And so he gives us a description according to the lives of some of the heroes of faith, right? And so what we read is, therefore, uh, in concerning all these heroes of faith, and he does not list them all, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and this cloud of witnesses is a term that you won't find anywhere else, and it's, it's terminology like, uh, think about the Olympics and somebody running in the athletics in the Olympics. It's, it's a huge audience, a great cloud of witnesses. And this cloud of witnesses are the Abrahams and the Noahs and the Moses. These guys are watching everyone in this room run their race. And what the writer of the Hebrews desires to do is to stimulate these believers by drawing on the crowd. You know how uh, the crowd can sometimes inspire you? And when I played football, depending on where I played, uh, if you played at home, the crowd were very inspiring. If you played away, they were not so inspiring. Uh, But this crowd here can be very inspiring and stimulating for us because when we read through the list... Often we we read through and we put the heroes up on the pedestal, you know. Well, they were the super anointed kind of guys that, you know, uh, and there's men and women listed here, but that's not what they would tell you. See, Noah would say, yeah, look, I built a boat and, you know, uh, I I saved my family and escaped judgment, nothing else except for judgment. I escaped judgment, but he said, you know, there was a part in my story when I planted a vineyard, got drunk and my sons found me naked too. Abraham would say, yeah, you know what, Uh, I ended up following God and I became the father of Israel, but uh, there was a point in time when I worshipped other gods. Joshua 24 tells us that uh, Terah and his sons, Abraham and Nahor, served other gods on the other side of the Euphrates. God calls them out of that. Was Abraham perfect after he was called? No, he lied many times about who his wife was. Sarah had massive doubts. Jacob was a swindler and a deceiver. Moses was a murderer. David was an adulterer. Talk about him in a moment. Adulterer and a murderer. But read the list, friends. They're all broken vessels. And every one of them would be sitting in the crowd going, you know what? We finished well and so can you. We were broken. We, we made a mess. We weren't perfect all the time, but we loved God and we can finish our race well, so you can too. That's what they would say to us today. That's what this crowd would say to every one of us. Examine the cloud for a moment. There is a message in their mess. The writer goes on and says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, isn't that interesting, the word us. It's let us. It's very pastoral, by the way. That's a pastoral, let us is, you know, this is, this is a challenge before all of us. This is not pointing the finger at anybody else. This is, let us run our race. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. And what I love about this verse is it differentiates between weights, burdens, yeah. and sin. There's a difference here. 
and there's a difference in our Christian walk and we're going to cover both of them and we're going to unpack how it is that they can stifle the fruitfulness in our life and also how it is that we can deal with them. But the big word in this sentence isn't wait. The big word in this sentence isn't sin. The huge term is lay aside. Because the responsibility falls on us. You see, so often... Uh, if I can be candid this morning, I didn't write the Bible, so I guess I can be, but if I can be black and white this morning, I think we often give the enemy far too much credit. Before I go any further, I'll clarify this statement in a moment. We do not cast out the flesh. We crucify it. And I say that because I have many times throughout my Christian walk, I've heard things like, well, I just keep falling and falling and falling, so I must have a spirit of such and such, but that can be a cop-out. When the Bible has called us to lay it aside, why can you lay it aside? Because our Lord and Saviour Jesus has won the victory for us and demands that we walk in that victory. This isn't accidental. This isn't just, oh, well, this guy must have got it wrong. No, Romans 13.2 tells us to lay aside the deeds of darkness. Uh, Ephesians 4.22 says to lay aside the old self. Uh, Colossians 3.8 says to lay aside all um, slander and envy. All those things, lay them aside as well. And, and James 1.21 says, you know what? Lay aside all filthiness of the flesh. Here's what it didn't say. Find some guru, swami, super anointed, coat-waving guy to come and shake and wiggle over you until it's cast out. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that you have the power to deal with these things. That's what the Bible tells us. You don't have to be enslaved anymore. That's the liberty that we have in Christ. Jesus has won the victory for us. Let us lay aside and this is really important for us this morning because I speak to a lot of people that say, you know what, I, I, I just want more of God. I want to go further. I want to go deeper, but I feel like something's holding me back. And often what is holding us back are these weights. Often what is holding us back is the sin that we will find so easily entangles. It's kind of like anybody flown recently. Some people here fly quite often. I choose not to fly. If I can go by a boat, I will because I can swim, but I can't fly if something goes wrong. But but when I do fly, I notice that you get those cheap seats on the plane, right? But they end up getting you, don't they? They give you the, they give you the cheap seat, but then they slug you for the baggage when you get there. <laughs> can I tell you, they don't slug the Wood family for baggage when they get there. We make sure we are well underweight when we get there. But I believe that our Christian life is like a series of airports that God wants to take us to. And sometimes when you arrive at an airport, God says, you know what, the baggage limit has to be reduced before you can go to the next destination. There's some, there's some baggage you've got to leave behind. You've carried that for too long. I know in my own Christian life, there's been seasons and moments when God has put his finger on stuff in my life and said, no more. It's time to put that down. You don't have to carry that anymore. That can look like a range of of different things, but I believe that uh, Christians are stifled and unfruitful in many ways because we are burdened and weighed down. Do you see athletic runners in the Olympics? Do you see them running in jeans and a trench coat? No. Because it's encumbersome and it weighs them down. The swimmers, do they, do they swim in jeans and a trench coat? No, not unless they're swimming on the bottom. 
Cyclists will shave their legs so that there's less drag as they're riding. I think it's just an excuse to shave their legs. <laughs> if we're honest for a moment, it's something quirky about cyclists. All my family are cyclists and a couple of them have represented Australia, but they still shave their legs after they don't cycle. The Lord's got to do a work. Friends, I want to encourage you today, uh, we don't cast out the flesh, we crucify it. Here's what Galatians tells us, just so that we're clear. We're going to come back to Galatians a little bit later on, but Galatians chapter 5, 5 verse 24, and those who belong to Christ, uh, raise your hand if you belong to Christ this morning, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Not cast it out, you've crucified it. And so what is the answer? The overarching answer is there are those things in our lives that we have to walk up the hill to the cross and crucify it and leave it there. Yeah. Before, sometimes before we can go any further, sometimes before we can begin to run our race, uh, we're always held back by these weights. They're, sometimes they're not always outright sinful actions either. I appreciate the words of Keith Green. Keith Green was a musician, yes, very talented musician, but he was a prophet. Yeah. He, he played, but his messages, his songs were prophetic. Listen, listen to Asleep in the Light. That, that'll wake you up, I can tell you right now. That's a fantastic song. But he sings a song, Oh Lord, You're Beautiful. Fantastic song. But the prelude to that song is, he, he says, I was up one night and at two o'clock in the morning I wrote this song. Who writes a song at two o'clock in the morning, right? But he says, I was up and I, I was up at two o'clock and I wrote this song. And he said, I realised that my heart had become hard and callous towards the Lord. And he said, it's not because of all the wrong things I was doing. He said, it's because of all the good things I wasn't doing. They were holding him back. And so maybe that's you this morning. Maybe what's holding you back is you need to make a decision. God blesses intentionality. Can I, can I just say that this morning? That if you decide, Lord, I'm in and I'm intentional, uh, the Lord blesses intentionality. Maybe there's some weights that you need to throw off. Maybe you need to have a bonfire in your life today. Uh, I was reading recently about Alexander the Great at a very critical moment uh, as in his conquest of Persia. He, he was suffering the possibility of defeat. But the problem that he soon realised was that these guys were so successful previously that they had amassed enormous plunder from all the other places. And so Alexander the Great orders all of his men to get all of the plunder, put it in a big pile and burn it. They complained bitterly. Who wouldn't, right? So, Hang on a second, we've worked for this. But they soon saw the wisdom in it. One historian would write, it was as if these men had grown wings after they did this and victory was assured. Maybe today you need to have a bonfire in your life and just maybe you could grow wings too. When we release these things, we carry them. This can be attitudes and motivations. Weights can be bitterness and unforgiveness that we hold in our heart for far too long. And these things left unchecked in our hearts and in our lives, they grow. It's like rust in a car, right? You, most men who, who know anything about cars, you get a small bit of rust, you've got to deal with it quick, right? Otherwise, it ends up taking over the whole car. Let us, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. The, uh, that word, clings so closely, can can also be uh, which binds or which surrounds. And 
This morning, uh, I've made the claim we don't cast out the flesh, we crucify. Let me, let me back that up a little bit more this morning as we go along. Uh, there can be this apparent debate that Christians can't be possessed by evil spirits and all those sorts of things. You know what? I'm not going to go into that theological debate this morning. What I'm going to do is just tell you what the Bible says and what I can learn from the Bible. I see instances like Peter, right? Where Peter says, you are, you are the Messiah. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. And it's not as if those words have finished coming off Jesus' lips and he's rebuking Peter. It's not long after that that he's telling Peter, get thee behind me, Satan, for you do not have the things of God in mind, but the things of man. What do we learn by that? Was was Peter demon-possessed and convulsing and throffing at the mouth? No, but he had opened himself up to be used by the enemy. I believe we all have that potential if we don't close the door. Why did Jesus tell us to be, be on guard? Why did Jesus tell us to watch? Why did Peter tell us? To be careful because our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. What's he looking for? Somebody who's out on their own, vulnerable and has let down their guard. If you are a gazelle in Africa, you cling very closely to the pack. Because if you get separated, you're in trouble. Imagine if you were a sheep in Africa. You'd cling very closely. Let us throw off... every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Here's what I do believe. I believe that sin left unchecked in our life can so bind, so surround, so enclose and so oppress some people that only Jesus could cut us free. I firmly believe that. If you want to call that deliverance this morning, then you call it deliverance. But I just believe that uh, there are some seasons and some sin that so grabs hold of some of us at times that only Jesus could cut us free. Here's what else I know. Wherever Jesus went, the enemy could not be in the same place. I just know that. Jesus does not cohabitate. I know that. Wherever Jesus went, confronted by the enemy, they would yell and scream out, He sometimes didn't have to say anything because they knew who he was. And the story of the bind the strong man and then the the, the enemy says that a a demon wanders through arid places and comes back to the house and finds the house swept and clean in order. What's the message there? The message is that that house was found empty. If Jesus is in that house, no one's coming back. Not from that side anyway. Jesus doesn't cohabitate. Also, he doesn't share the throne for those that are... If you've still got the self on the throne, he doesn't share the throne. I just thought I'd highlight that this morning. Let us throw off every weight in the sin which clings so closely. But sometimes this can start so small and this can... It begins to wrap us more and more and more the more we leave it unchecked. We're going to come to some practical helps in a moment that can help us in our walk with Christ and then we're going to finish with that secret in a moment. But let's read the rest of this passage because it's enormously uh, profound for us this morning. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Why? And let us run. And that running speaks in the athletic. It speaks with diligence. Do you know the Christian life takes diligence, takes discipline? crucifying the flesh in your life will require you to walk something up the hill, leave it at the cross and leave it there. But how many of us run back up and get it, right? 
There are seasons and moments in our life when God places his finger on things in our lives and says, no more, no further. That has to die before you can come any further. Let us run with endurance. (laughs) We covered this last week, but let's remind ourselves again, the Christian life is not a series of short sprints, it's a marathon. Faith is faithfulness. It's clinging to Christ through all the circumstances and storms of life. That's what Hebrews 11 tells us. You read the men and women of Hebrews 11, you will find men and women that despite their circumstances believed God, dared to believe God and stand on his truth and clung to God. Uh, Here's how to know when you're in great faith. The greater the risk, the greater the faith. If you're standing on the precipice of losing everything and you're clinging to God, that's great faith. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That's, that's profound. Every person in this room has a race, because that word set before us means divinely apportioned. So God has marked out a race for every individual in this room. Your race is different to my race. You have obstacles that I don't have. You have hurdles that I don't have. I have hurdles and obstacles that you don't have. We each have a race that is marked out. What does that teach us? Don't worry about everybody else's race. Just worry about your race. Don't worry about everybody else or how they're doing and comparisons. Spiritual comparison can be very deadly. Don't worry about how many talents somebody else may have been given. Lord, what have you given me and deposited in me and am I living fruitful? Some of the questions I hope the Holy Spirit is dropping into our hearts. What are some of the weights that are holding you back? What are some of the motivations? What are some of those attitudes? What are some of those things you should be doing that you've neglected for far too long? Maybe there's sin in your life. We live in a culture today where sin is a very dirty word. where if you were to go outside of these walls and say, hey, you know what, Jesus came to save us from our sins, they would go, who's Jesus and what is sin? Because we live in a relativistic society, which means what's true for you is true for you, right? It removes the supreme authority. It removes God and places ourselves as the supreme authority. Well, whatever's moralistic for me, whatever is right for me, sin removes all of that. It highlights what is wrong. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Every one of us has a, a race that is marked out and it goes on and says, looking to, the, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. The founder means the one that has gone before and paved the way. He is the one that blows the gun on your faith. He is the one that will be there to meet you at the finish line. Let us move to some practicalities that may help us in the small foxes or the gum beetles that might sneak into our lives. One of the most important things uh, to get rid of gum beetles, the most important thing we had to do to get rid of them was to do what we called beetle assessments. And all a beetle assessment is, is a couple of guys walking around a coop with plots and they would count how many beetles and multiply them by the hectares and a certain number means you've got to deal with them or a certain number under means you don't have to. And so what does that mean in our own lives? The most important thing often that we can do is examine ourselves. Honestly, examine yourself. Maybe start your prayer in the morning with this, Lord, search my heart. They're dangerous words. 
a guy by the name of Stephen Hill, who was heavily involved in the Brownsville revival, speaks about uh, speaks about the searchlights of God. And what he says in God searching is, if we really want God to move in power in our lives, we have to let him go below deck. And so uh, in nautical terms, for those that have any idea about nautical terms, uh, there are certain searches. They can, people can come aboard your vessel and do a deck search, and they can, they can just search the top and have a look at your papers and send you on your way. Then there's a personnel search. We, we're going to search the deck, and we're going to check out the people you've got here, no illegal immigrants from Mexico or any places like that. But... Uh, the last one is a below deck search where you let them go and probe all the dark corners of that ship. And so many of us never let God come below deck, right? Number one, examine yourself. Open the doors to God and say, Lord, you come and search me. It can be painful, it can be uncomfortable. But sometimes we can't proceed into waters until we are, <laughs> allow him to search us, right? Number one is examine yourself. Second uh, Corinthians 13.5 says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. And, and the other one I would say is, you know, sometimes prevention is better than cure. Sometimes keeping the beetles and the foxes out is far easier than trying to get rid of them when they're in, Right? So I would say, uh, my advice would be, and I'll, I'll give you an example in a moment, is to shore up the boundaries in your life, healthy spiritual boundaries in your life. Whatever you have to do to keep these things from encroaching uh, onto your spiritual walk. Uh, if you have a look at David, many of us would say, well, David, yeah, we, we think Bathsheba, we think adultery, and we think murder, all those things. But let's, let's press the rewind tape, and before we get to Bathsheba, we're going to see some chinks in the boundaries. You see, right back at the David and Goliath thing, we see that David's just doing his thing. He's dropping food off to his brother. He sees this giant down there slandering God. And David and Goliath is all about a young Jewish boy that decides to stand up for, for the honour of God, right? And so uh, David, uh, while he's there, he also learns anyone who defeats this Philistine gets the king's daughter. Ah, now we're suddenly motivated, Right? And then we see as we go down that he began to get a little bit loose with boundaries because what we read is in the very chapter that he sees Bathsheba, it says, when all the kings go out to war, David stayed home. Idols' hands are the devil's tool. My foster mother used to tell me that. Go to work. But maybe there's truth in that. Maybe there's not. But what we find is had David gone to battle with all the other kings like he was supposed to, he would never have seen Bathsheba. We see that he had let the fences become loose, right? And so what do boundaries look like in our lives? Let's take some really, really uh, obvious examples. If you struggle with alcohol and you're trying to lay that aside, probably don't go to the pub, right? If you're here and you struggle with pornography, maybe what you need to do is cut off the internet and sell the computer. Foxes can't get in if they're not there, right? It kind of leads me to my next point. I would encourage everybody in this room, I'm going to tell you how you can do this. Uh, I would encourage everybody in this room to diligently make war on sin in your life. There was a point where Jesus, we've become far too relaxed with sin. 
It is the one thing that is keeping you, it, it stifles you in your relationship with God. It keeps you at distance from his presence. That's what the whole tabernacle, you know, unless you go through the washings and deal with some of the uncleanliness, you can't move into the holy place, right? And Jesus says, you know what, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your arm causes you to sin, cut it off. It was Jesus telling us to start gouging our eyes out and cutting off our arms? No, but what he was saying was, do whatever you have to do to make war on sin in your life. <coughs> the way we make war on sin in our life is by confession and by repentance. To stop that sin surrounding us, entangling us and pulling us down, you keep short accounts with God. Jesus is our high priest. He has paid for all of our... He has been punished in our place. Uh, the word is clear that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. It says that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us, present participle. Walking in the light means being transparent and open before God. It's why James would say, confess your sins to one another. Why? Because when you put sin out on the table, you, it shrivels up. The minute you put sin into the light, it shrivels up. If you have to get into your prayer closet and be real with God, then do it for the sake of your spiritual race. You may as well tell God you're angry with that person. He already knows. You may as well tell God, I, I patted that cat. <laughs> Touch no unclean thing, Bill. <laughs> I didn't want another Sunday, Greg, to go by. Sorry, I just thought I'd slip that one in. Thank you very much. But, but confession and repentance is enormously important. You know, we've... We've lost what repentance means. It means to turn away from sin. And when you turn away, we're going to get to the secret in a moment, but it sounds a lot like this. It's a turning away from something, but it's a turning towards somebody. The last one is coming back to Galatians. Uh, A lot of people... uh, I've had a lot of conversations that say, you know what, Pastor, I just struggle with this area and, and, and I don't know what to do. Do I need deliverance? Do I, do I need this? Do I need, oh, do, do I need to read this book? Whatever it is, uh, let me help you if you're struggling with these things. Because Paul helped us when he wrote to the Galatians. He says in chapter 5, verse 16, he says, But I say to you, walk by the Spirit and you will not, you need to highlight those words, you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature or you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. What's Paul saying? Fill your house. If, you, if all of our attention and focus is about keeping in step, keeping in step with the Holy Spirit, there's no room for these foxes, right? There's no room for these things to come into our lives because we've changed our focus and we've changed our attention. Walk by the Spirit. Uh, Whenever you read the word walk, it speaks about a daily habitual conduct before God. Walk in or walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And Now I want to finish with that secret. I'm reminded of a story of a farmer who's teaching his son to plough the field. And he says to his son, he says, you know, I'm going to help you to keep all these furrows straight. He says the easiest way is to pick a point way off in the horizon 
and head for that one particular point. Son says, well, that sounds easy. So he begins to plough and he's got, the, he's got the ox or the mule or whatever it is pulling the plough and the father comes back in an hour and the furrows are like this. He's like, what on earth has happened here? Did, did, didn't I tell you? Did you not pick a spot? He says, no, 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 no. He says, I picked a spot in the far paddock, but it's that cow over there. <laughs> Hebrews helps us with what the secret is. Verse 2 says, looking to Jesus. How is it that we should run our race? Like that little boy, we should be looking to Jesus. Uh, I remember the story of uh, one of the pastors I knew from the Salvation Army, an old guy by the name of Brigadier Grease, well into his 80s, uh, probably had more dementia than anything else, but lovely, lovely guy. But he could remember his time at the Salvation Army when he was learning to be an officer. And he said, when you walk through the mess hall uh, of a night time, he says, I had to get something. He says, the whole place is dark and the light switches at the other end. He said, but right at the other end, he said, there was a picture of Jesus uh, right above uh, everything. He says, and all you had to do was keep your eyes on Jesus as you're walking your way through. Uh, great story, but it highlights how simple the Christian life is. Because that word looking means to deliberately turn our attention away from everything else and to focus on one point. What did Jesus say in John chapter 3? If I shall be lifted up, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, and what, what was the catch cry then? For everybody who looked, they were, the poison had no effect on them and they were saved and delivered. How is it that we can run our race? How is it that everyone in this room can finish our race and stand before Christ and hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Live your life today and live your life every day with a conscious choice. I'm going to focus all of my attention away from everything else and on Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would, Lord, that you would turn our attention away from everything else in our life. Father, I pray that as we sit here this morning, I pray that the Holy Spirit would continue his work after today, highlighting those foxes that have crept in or maybe the sin, Lord, that we have tolerated for far too long. Lord, we desire to be closer to you. We desire, Lord, to go deeper with you and we desire, Lord, to bear fruit and to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. I pray, Father, that weights would fall off by the power of God. I pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit will do his work cutting sin away from our lives. Then, Lord, you would draw us closer, I pray, in your wonderful name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.